what he knew to be the truth, at least at one time. I have a copy of his Roman book on Romans, which uh, has an apology on the bottom of the page. Some of you have it too, I suppose. An apology on the bottom of the page in Romans 6. And he says, uh, this was the unfortunate mistake this author made in a former treatise on Romans. He didn't read any water into Romans 6 in the first treatise. But now he had to add water in order to sell his books. Is that called watering it down, right? I'll say it is. That's watering it down. Let's have a word of prayer before we do anything else. Our Father, we thank thee for the many happy privileges to fellowship in the scriptures. We thank thee, Lord, for these days and the good time we've enjoyed listening to the word of God and enjoying one another's fellowship and above the Lord enjoying our fellowship with thee. We pray thy benediction upon the ministry of this day. May the Lord Jesus Christ be honored. For we pray in his name. Amen. I thought it would be good to uh, hear a word from some of our new men. And uh, Titus chapter 2. The portion that's been assigned to me is found in the second chapter, first ten verses. I don't know if you're hot, but I am. Ah. I have to stand here and mop my brow. That's uh, one of those things. I sat down there last time listening to you, and I was still perspiring. I wasn't nervous last night. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is, brethren. You want me to tell you? Okay. I won't say anything about it. Yeah, I'm in Indiana now, that's why. No, I'm in... I'm not either. I'm in Iowa. Yeah. I've got a dirty shirt on. <laughs> All right, enough trivia. Let's get to the scriptures, please. Titus chapter 2. But speak thou of the things which become sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as become of holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, 
sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of us. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We're looking at uh, the book of Titus verse by verse, as uh, all of us know. And uh, in this portion of the letter, the Apostle Paul is giving instructions to Titus as a pastor. It is evident from chapter 1 that Titus was closely associated with the Apostle Paul, especially in his early ministry, is mentioned a number of times in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4 indicates, as our brother Bergner mentioned yesterday, that uh, he evidently was saved through Paul's ministry. And uh, the apostle writes him this letter as a young pastor in the island or on the island of Crete. He, after giving the instructions for bishops and elders and spiritual leaders, I always say to our people when I read this portion in Titus and also in Timothy, that uh, we could make this application to all spiritual leaders, not necessarily men who are old in years, but anyone who would be a leader in the work of the Lord. And uh, he gives the instructions for the leaders in the first part of the first chapter. Then in the second part, he warns about the false teachers that were influencing the believers in this area. Now, this, of course, is negative teaching, as our brother said yesterday. There is a lot of negative teaching as well as positive teaching, and I uh, believe very strongly that we'll not go wrong if we keep the message of the gospel of grace balanced. I'm convinced that we have to balance one truth with another. The Apostle Paul was very balanced in his preaching and teaching. I don't suppose a better example could be found in the book of Ephesians. We have the position of the believer and we have his condition or his uh, responsibility, his position and his state. And these two are proclaimed clearly in the Pauline epistles. And if I've learned anything at all since I've been in the grace movement, so-called, is that it's important to keep our message balanced. You'll not go off on a tangent in one aspect of truth if you keep it like this. One truth balancing another. And uh, that's the Pauline way of doing it, and I hope that I could follow that at least in a measure. In our text here in the second chapter, he balances 
this wonderful truth of the believer's position with the believer's responsibility. And he gives instructions not only to Titus, the pastor, but he also gives instructions to his congregation, those who sat in his audience from week to week. And verse 10, which is the end of our portion this morning, ends with an exhortation to adorn the doctrine of our Savior God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That has been the subject assigned to me, adorning the doctrine of God. He begins in verse 1 by giving instructions to Titus, and he says, But speak thou the things which become the sound doctrine. And we believe he's referring, of course, to the Pauline message here. He's referring to the distinctive message revealed to the Apostle Paul by the glorified Lord. Now, I hardly need to emphasize that here, since all of us, I trust, see that and see the importance of proclaiming that message and that message alone. And all scripture, though it's profitable for our learning, needs to be studied and understood in the light of the Pauline revelation. That's very simple, and all of us know that, I'm sure. But speak thou the things which become the sound doctrine, the Pauline message. This in contrast to the fair speeches mentioned in verse 16 of the first chapter. Let me read that. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate or disqualified. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where Paul expresses the fear that after having run the race, he might himself be disqualified for committing a foul and for disobeying the rules and for breaking the rules in the ministry. And so he tells about these false teachers and the fact that unto every good work they are disqualified. In contrast to that, he says, but speak thou the things which become the sound doctrine. Now we know that the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, spoke the message and the words of the Father. And the Lord Jesus said when he gave the promise of the coming of the Spirit, he said, when he has come, he will speak of me. And you know, I believe that when the Holy Spirit is directing us as pastors and as ministers of the gospel, if the Holy Spirit is directing us, we will speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot depart from that instruction. If we do, the Holy Spirit is not directing us. He says, be speaking the things becoming to sound doctrine. This is the way the revised renders it. Becoming to sound doctrine. Something that is becoming, fitting to sound doctrine. The uh, word doctrine, as all of us know, means teaching. 
and it's found, I think, 21 times I counted in the New Testament scriptures. 19 of those 21 times it's used in the Pauline epistles. And especially here in the pastorals. We read the word doctrine again and again, and sound doctrine, or as we heard yesterday, healthy doctrine. It's the opposite of the doctrine of demons, which the apostle warned Timothy about. Let's look at the First Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, the faith, again, the Pauline revelation, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. In 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers. Why? False teachers. Why? Because they have itching ears. They want to be tickled. They want their ears tickled. And today, one by one, among preachers are falling by the wayside. I just heard from Harlan, just, I just opened a letter this morning, and I don't get some of the information that some of you get, but uh, I just learned from this letter that Harlan had dropped me and handed to me yesterday, I just read it this morning, that another one of our greatest missionaries has fallen by the wayside. And it's, to me, it's heartbreaking. I can understand, at least in a, in, a, in a small measure, what the apostle was saying when he spoke about the last days. He says how all had forsaken him. And he says, only Luke is with me. One by one had left. And, you know, we're seeing a continuation of that attitude and that, that condition in our day. One by one are leaving. And they've gone into false teaching of one kind or another. And I was shocked when I heard this because the brother that I'm referring to was a friend of mine. And uh, we've had him in our church and uh, I really respected him highly. And uh, now he's gone, too. I was telling Rick that I don't think that once you start down that road, you ever turn around. It seems to me that once you go that path and that way, you're going to keep right on going. And uh, it really bothered me, brethren. I just can't uh, tell you how, my, how it made me feel. But anyway... We have to be faithful ourselves, don't we, regardless. And may the Lord help us to stand. As I said yesterday, not enough to believe the truth, you need to stand for it, too. Not enough to believe it, brethren. We've got to stand for it. And you know, that's not popular. When you stand for the truth, you're going to have, you won't have many friends. But you'll have some real friends, that's one thing.
And that's the kind I want. Anyway, it's going to happen that way, and it's going to get worse. As we get nearer the rapture, we're going to get worse. I just don't see how we can uh, go on much longer before the rapture. It just seems like things are getting worse and worse, as the apostles said they would, and we're seeing it right before our own eyes. And so the apostle exhorts Timothy in that first verse to speak the message committed to him. And he adds in verse 15, and that's not my text, but I want to read the verse at least. He again refers to speaking, and he says in verse 15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. With all authority. Let no man or no one despise the revisers, disregard thee. Let no man disregard thee. So he begins with an exhortation to Titus. And then, in verses 2 to 6, he has some exhortations for the congregation. Those who sat and listened to Titus preach. First of all, he instructs aged men. Now, I guess that includes me. Aged men. Now, I think he's referring not to necessarily to those who are aged in, in experience, but aged in years. Old in years. Not necessarily their position as elders in the local assembly, but old in years. And by the time you get old, you should have learned something, shouldn't you? Uh, some of us uh, have been hard learners. We've taken us a long time to learn. And uh, I uh, read this and apply it to myself. But I, I, I had to learn the hard way. I have tried to encourage some of our young men to not have to go through what I have personally gone through. Uh, I guess I've told you before, and but I'll just say it again for those who might not have heard it. The Lord had to really shake me up before I came into the grace message, as we call it. The Lord really had to, really, well, he took my wife away from me. And brethren, if you are married, you know what that does to you. And I was left with three little children, and it really was a jolt when the doctor said to me, she's not going to be here more than six months. Fact is that she was here less than two months, and she was gone. And it was during that time that these dear friends of mine from Genoa City, Wisconsin, where our brother Marvin's pastor now, sent me that little track by Mr. Stam, Unanswered Prayer. The greatest thing I ever read. And I don't say that because he's sitting here, because he's heard me say this before. But I want to say that the Lord really jolted me out of my indifference and rebelliousness. And the Lord used that little track to get a wedge of light into my life. And I've been in the ministry for many years, been traveling for years, 
holding evangelistic meetings. I spent 24 years on the road before I became pastor in Denver, and we've been there 18 years, so you know how old I am. And I tell you, it just turned my whole life around and never been the same since. How I thank the Lord for that. Let the aged men be sober, grave. Sober means temperate. And I think he's referring especially to uh, being temperate when it comes to Drinking wine, as our, Ber our brother Bergner said yesterday. In those days, of course, we understand that they used wine as a beverage. Used somewhat different than it's used today, I'll tell you. But the water in Lod was so bad in many places that they had to, they drank wine uh, so they could get liquid. But, you know, some perhaps had the tendency to drink too much and got drunk. Now, don't think that I'm putting my approval on grace pastors drinking wine. I don't. I wouldn't have any wine in our refrigerator at home. I know some who do, but I don't. And the reason I don't is because it might be a mighty poor testimony to my congregation. <laughs> If anybody learned that the pastor of the Berean church has a bottle in his refrigerator, might not hurt me any, might do me good sometimes. Timothy took a little for his stomach's sake. But, uh, you know, it'd be a, a very poor testimony for me, a man of my age, to go drinking wine and be in the pastorate. Imagine that. But, you know, I'm... I'm learning all the time that uh, even pastors are letting down the bars and compromising in some of these areas. And that troubled me. I just wish that we could be clean in every detail. If we're going to expect the Lord's blessing, we're going to have to be. I'm not setting myself up in, as an example, but by the grace of God, I sure want to be an example to our people. Let the aged men be sober, temperate, grave. I looked up that word translated grave, and it means venerable or worthy of respect, dignified. Now, I know that there's some kind of dignity that's very, very uh, fleshly. But I think that, that we could use a little more dignity as pastors, couldn't we? And uh, old men are exhorted here to be dignified. <laughs> and earn the respect of their people and their friends and their families. I know I remember hearing many years ago before I was as old as I am now 
There's no fool like an old fool. Ever hear that? And <laughs> I'll tell you, you and I have met some old fools, haven't we? And it's certainly a tragedy when they are professing believers and they haven't learned through the years. Temperate, exercising self-control, and sound or healthy in the faith, in love and in patience. The apostle, you know, wrote, tribulation worketh patience. I think that's why some have to go through a lot of tribulation. I guess I'm one of them. Because I don't have much patience. And the Lord just has to let me get a little tribulation so I can learn from patience. Following the instruction to the older men, he talks to the older women. Here again is, is balance. The apostle never instructs men alone, never, never instructs women alone. He always instructs them both. And he has some words for the aged women, and, and quite a few words, notice, please. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior, becometh holiness. Albert Barnes, the great commentator, says in his book, Those in sacred service, as becometh holiness, those in sacred service. I'm one who believes that uh, women have a definite place in the Lord's work, not as pastors, of course. Not as spiritual leaders, of course. But what a great ministry some of our godly women have performed. And I tell our ladies for their encouragement that I am not a woman hater. I feel that there is a definite place for godly women in the work of the Lord. In fact, when I used to travel, I was in a lot of churches where I'm sure if it hadn't been for the godly women in the church, that the church would have folded up a long time ago. And uh, I'm not trying to curry the favor of Our Ladies when I tell them that, but, but I really believe that. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say about godly women, and many of them that ministered with him in some way. I don't know what they did behind the scenes, no doubt. I don't know what I would do without my wife. A lot of things that people credit me with, I really have to give her the credit because a lot of things she does behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about unless I tell them. And many of you men here can thank God for your wives who have been such a help to you through the years. And uh, I, uh, I get a little discouraged with some brethren who 
feel that the women have, ought, to, ought to, you know, keep their mouths completely shut and never open their mouths and never say a word and never do anything in the Lord's work. There is a place for them, I believe. And I'm not suggesting that they be pastors nor spiritual leaders nor usurp authority over their husbands or any man. I'm not suggesting that at all. But there's a place for our ladies. I wish I could tell them all here, then none of them are here, but you tell them what I said, will you? He says their behavior, he talks about their behavior here, and he says, as becometh holiness, not false accusers or slanderers or those who are engaged in malicious gossiping, not given to much wine. Evidently, the women were drinking a little too heavy, too, sometimes. And he says, not given to much wine, or not enslaved, the revised renders those two words, not given, not enslaved to much wine, teachers of good things. And then he tells them who they should teach. He says their teaching should be to the young women. And I thought as I read this that possibly he's referring to the daughters. I don't know. I, I, I really think that some of our girls could uh, profit by some good teaching from their mothers. Not all older women, mothers of daughters, have taught their girls what they should have taught them. And uh, you are aware of that, I know all of you who are in the pastorate. They are to teach the young women to be sober, discreet or prudent, to be affectionate. Now the word for love here is phileo, and that's one of the two Greek words I know. Phileo, which I, as I understand it, means affection. And the older women are to teach the young women to be affectionate. Who to? First of all, to their husbands. Now, I can find no place where women or wives are told to love agape their husbands. That's the love of devotion. Someone has said that one is the love of devotion, the other is the love of emotion. The love of emotion is affection. And the older women are to teach the young women to be affectionate to their husbands. And I think the reason is because husbands need affection. The rest of this message is on side two. Please turn your tape over at this point. They need to be loved. Isn't that right? I should say. Why, well, Brother Sam just remarried. He needs to be loved. Isn't that right? No, I, I say that seriously. We need to be loved. And uh, the older women are to teach the young women to be affectionate to their husbands. Some men have really never been loved by their wives. And that's tragic. 
But not only are the aged women to teach the young women to be affectionate to their husbands, but also to be affectionate to their children. <coughs> Notice it, please. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be affectionate to their children. Now, I have three children of my own. They're all gone now, all married. But I remember when they were little, and our boy wanted to be loved just like the girls. I remember our youngest girl, who is the mother of six children herself now, when she was a little girl at home, she used to play with dolls till she was 12 years old, and her older sister said, Linda, what's wrong with you playing with dolls when you're 12 years old? But you know, her mommy used to ask her when she was little, what do you want to be when you get, when you grow up? And she said, I just want to be a mother. And she's got six of them now. And she's a good mother, you bet. But I remember that Linda used to come and say, Daddy, can I sit in your lap? I used to sit in our big recliner. And she was a big girl. She was 10, 11 years old. And she'd say, can I sit in your lap? And I said, I'll say you can. She was home at Christmas time and with her children this last Christmas, and uh, I said to her, how about sitting in my lap for old time's sake? It's a little too heavy to hold anymore, but I loved her just like I did when she was a little girl. The older women are to teach the young women to be affectionate to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home. Now, uh, I have to say a word about that. We are living in a day when many mothers who ought to be home with their children are having to work. Some don't have to work, but they still want to because they have big ideas. And they want to have as many luxuries as possible, and so that it takes two salaries to pay the bills. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I think that a couple that do not have any children, it's fine for the wife to work. Maybe it's good so that she'd have to be home by herself all day. But I really believe, as a pastor, that Young women with little children ought not to turn their kids over to a babysitter and then go out working if they don't have to. Now, that's not popular to say. I know that. And, uh, but I'm not trying to win any popularity contest. I'm just trying to tell the truth. And I tell our people that at home, too. We've got some mothers that have no business working. They ought to get along on a lot less and stay home with their children. You can do it. 
My wife did it. And we used to live from hand to mouth. I'll tell you, when I was traveling in evangelistic work, we uh, just barely made it. But we're here, so you know the Lord took care of us. Keepers of home. I wish more of our older women would teach their daughters this and other young women. To be good, kind, and then the ads, and to be obedient to their own husbands. Not only are they, are they to be affectionate to their husbands, but they're to be obedient to their own husbands. I feel very strongly about this too, and I never have a wedding, but I preach on Ephesians 5. We have a, a number of weddings in our church, and I always go over these scriptures with the couple before I ever marry them in the first place. And then we preach a little message at the wedding. I've had women say to me, why well, I never heard that at a wedding before. I said we ought to have it more. We need to have a little teaching on this. Many young couples get married today and they have no idea what it means to take on the responsibilities of a maid and a home and all that's entailed. They're to be obedient to their own husbands and that's not popular to say. When you start talking like that, you're going to have some women rise up in arms. But this is what the scriptures say, brethren, and we can't beat around the bush on here, on this subject. At least I can't. Then he has a word to the young men, and this is a very short word. It's in verse 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. That's all he says to them, be sober-minded. But I think that's pretty important, isn't it? You know what it means, don't you? To exercise self-control. To be sober-minded, to exercise self-control, and that covers a lot of areas. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Remember Galatians 5, 22 and 23? How do you get self-control? I had a young couple in our church ask me some, a couple years ago now, what's the best method of birth control? Anybody ask you that? You pastors? You know what I told them? Self-control. That's the best method I know about. And self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. You can't work it up. You can't pray it down. The Holy Spirit has to produce it in your life. That's all he has to say to young men. But in the next verses, he returns to Titus, and he has a closing word for him here. 
as the pastor. And of course, Titus was a young man, as they counted young in those days. I agree with Brother Bergner that he maybe was around 40 years of age. I was considered young. I remember when I thought 40 was ready for the cemetery. I remember when my dad was 40, I thought, oh, terrible. 40. Why, that was a young man in Bible times. And I think it's young now, too. <laughs> in verses 7 and 8, he exhorts Titus, and he says, In all things showing thyself a pattern. A pattern means an example or an impress, a mold. In all things, in all things showing thyself a pattern. Years ago, when, we, when I was traveling, as I told you, we used to uh, have awards for the kids in our meetings. We used to make plaques. You've seen these for sale in the Bible bookstores. We used to make our own. My wife designed one which said, Christ died for our sins and arose again. And uh, we gave out literally hundreds and hundreds of them around the country. I felt that was the gospel, and if that hangs in anybody's house, they'd at least know how to be saved. And we made the mold out of rubber compound that they used for making dentures. And we poured this liquid over the original carving till we had a rubber mold, and when it uh, had cured, we peeled the model out and then we had a mold and we used to pour liquid plaster in there and uh, after they dried they were the very same as the original they were exactly the same a mold an impress a pattern and the apostle here is being he's urging Titus as the young pastor to be a mold, an impress for all the rest of his people. You see, if the pastor does it, it's all right. That's the way many people in church today look at things. They say, well, if the pastor can do it, well, I can. I thought when I saw on the news the presence of the United States running a around the softball, in the softball game, in a pair of cutoffs with fringes hanging from his legs. I thought, what a poor impress for the presidency. I don't know what you think about that, but I, I thought it degraded the office of president a lot in my eyes. A lot of preachers want to be one of the boys. That's the trend in our day, isn't it? Let's be like one of the boys. And I've known some preachers who certainly let down their decorum when they became one of the boys. And they became like a pal to their people rather than the pastor. I've been telling Rick, who is with me, that I think the pastor has to have a certain... He has to earn a certain respect of his people. And he can't 
go beyond that line, whatever it is. I don't mean to say that you have to keep people at a distance, but I think that you have to have their respect if you're going to be effective in the ministry. You never can make it otherwise. If people don't respect you, they won't listen to what you say. Uncorruptness or purity, gravity, seriousness, dignity. And uh, let me say that, as we said earlier, we could use a little more dignity in the ministry, in my opinion. Earnestness in manner. I've said this, maybe I've told you here, I don't know, but I, I, I remind our people of it at home. When I was a teenager, I would say when I was 15, when I was a teenager at home, I sat in this Sunday school class and we had an old man, and I mean he was old. And I, I felt he was far too old to be teaching Sunday school to a bunch of teenagers. But I think about it now, and I think he was just the man we needed. But I remember sitting in his class Sunday after Sunday, and you know, as he talked many times about the Lord and about the work of Christ, big tears rolled out of his eyes, and they ran down his cheeks, and you know, I, I, I sat in the class, and I thought, boy, he must mean what he says. I think he really must mean it. He wasn't kidding. It wasn't just another job for him. I've seen so much lightness in the ministry and so much uh, what looked to me like indifference and carelessness. I said to our men, we have a little breakfast once a month for, at one of the restaurants. We call it breakfast with the brethren. And I told him here recently that the Lord took away that frivolous foolishness that I perhaps at one time had. And uh, I've been accused of being a sour puss and everything else, and I guess I am in many ways. But really, uh, I, I do want to say that I've uh, become a lot more serious in recent years about the ministry, and you know, I realize I'm not going to be here long. I'm going to be here just a short time, and I've got to make the time count as much as I can. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, we may not have much longer to preach the gospel of grace. Where things are going, I, I think we could, we could we could have it end at any time. And I just want to be usable the short time we have left. Gravity, seriousness, dignity in the ministry and preaching the gospel of grace. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Not having one evil thing to say of not you, but of us. And he concludes himself there. The word should be us, as you will note. 
not having one evil thing to say of us. And he includes himself. You see, I think Titus's ministry reflected on the Apostle Paul as his son in the faith. And some of us older men here who have sought to help our young men, I think realize this, that our responsibility is not just to ourselves, but our responsibility goes to those to whom we teach also, where their ministry affects our faithfulness to the truth. And so he includes himself, that they may have no evil thing to say of us. Then in closing, he says uh, a closing exhortation to the servants. Now, these servants were slaves, bond slaves. And a bond slave, as I understand it, had nothing had no control over his own life at all. He had absolutely no will of his own. A bond slave was in absolute subjection to his master. And he has a word to these slaves, or servants as they're called here. And that's only one of many exhortations to slaves. Notice how many times the apostle gives instructions to the slaves or to the servants. And he also balances that by giving instructions to the masters. Never just to the slaves alone, but also to those who were in charge of them. And he says to the slaves that they were to be obedient to their masters in all things, and they were to please them well or give satisfaction, not answering again. The revised says, not contradicting. I suppose it was the want of slaves to contradict their masters when they were given orders to do certain things. And he says, not answering again, not purloining or pilfering, stealing. Uh, here's a subject that we could preach a sermon on just by itself, not pilfering, stealing small objects <coughs> secretly. I have known through the years, and some of you have too, I'm sure, of people who are in working in a factory and who pilfer or steal little objects, small things, from the boss. Now, we rationalize and say, well, they won't miss that anyway, you know, what difference does it make? But that's stealing. And he says to these servants, they are not to pilfer or take things that didn't belong to them, secretly. And they were no doubt little things. And then he closes by saying, showing all good fidelity or trustworthiness. All of this, verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God. Now they here, I think, refers to everybody that is instructed in the context. That they, the aged men, the aged women, 
the young women, the young men, and the pastor himself, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us know that the word adorn here is from cosmos, from which we get our English word cosmetic. And a cosmetic is to ornament or to put in order, to arrange, to embellish with honor. These are lexicon definitions. To embellish with honor and, someone suggested, to set as a jewel. I like that. To set as a jewel. Now, I've seen some very small and precious jewels through the years. I never owned any, but I've seen them. And I know that it really takes some skill to set a precious jewel in a piece of jewelry. And the thought is that believers are to be set like a precious jewel, ornamenting and adorning the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Adorn the doctrine of the gospel of grace. How we need to appropriate that admonition, brethren, all of us. I know I do. And I'm sure you feel the same way. And I close with this thought. The best testimony to the correctness of our doctrine is to adorn that doctrine with a Christ-like life. Isn't that true? Well, I've gone over. I've been watching that clock up there that had been going around so fast, and I took more than I was supposed to, so we don't have any time for any questions or any comments here. You notice how I managed to get around that every time. Every year. I just preach longer, see, so that... Well, I'll tell you, I couldn't answer the questions anyway. Of course, this is well. I appreciate, I, I appreciate your atten- attendance, brethren, and your attention. We're going to go down and have a cup of coffee now, and uh, you can discuss what I said. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure you don't agree with everything I said, but that's all right. We'll agree to disagree, won't we, brethren? Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of fellowship in the scriptures, we pray that we may profit from the word of God itself. May the Holy Spirit teach us and exhort us and make us to be fruitful and usable in a very definite way in these last days. Bless our fellowship downstairs and the closing service this morning. May Christ be honored, we ask in his name. Amen. Amen.